Marini's Media. Hello and welcome to the Offside Rule WSL edition. Coming up on the show, new boss, no problem. A first match in charge for Rahan Skinner and a first league win of the season for Spurs. Oh, and a first goal for you know who. Chelsea are record breakers as they win at home again, beating managerless West Ham, but only just. And Arsenal moved to within a point of league leaders Man United with victory over Birmingham. Welcome along. I'm Lindsay Hooper. And I'm Kate Borsay. And with us today is a journalist, writer, broadcaster, academic, and according to her Twitter profile, insomniac. Carrie, I never knew this. Carrie Dunn, how much sleep did you get last night in preparation for this fine show? I got about five hours, which is pretty good oh for me. Uh, I know, I've been, do- I've been doing meditation during lockdown, so it actually helps you quite a lot because when you're kind of stuck in your house, it makes you quite anxious. I have not been sleeping particularly well, but yes, my meditation is working. Oh, very good. There's a competition for lack of sleep going on here <laughs> because you are speaking to, in Kate Borsay, the woman that gets around four hours per night out of choice. No, 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 no. Come on. No, no, no. You're like Margaret Thatcher. This is what I call you sometimes. (laughs) I must admit, I'm actually, since the beginning of lockdown, I'm actually really much more desperate for sleep than I ever was. (laughs) And I think working the weird hours I do at the weekend just makes me crave sleep in a way that I've never done before. But I too, Carrie, just do, just to spill out everything uh, and be as transparent as I can be, I too have been trying some meditation. (laughs) Oh, wow. What am I surrounded by with you two today? And this is a meditation to kind of bring nice things into your life. But the problem is I fall asleep halfway through it. So it doesn't do what it's meant to do, but it does make me fall asleep. So, yeah, job done. Carrie, we need to ask you about the return of WSL and the return of fans as well to the stadium. And of course, it's V-Day as we record this Tuesday, vaccination day. Does it feel like life's getting a little bit brighter? Yeah, it was really exciting to actually be watching across all the different grounds this weekend on the FA Player Seeing fans going back in, um, my dad was at Boreham Wood, God bless him, and he was saying it was quite strange to kind of have to go through the turnstiles two metres apart. But apart from that, yes, sounds like some normality is, is getting back there. I can actually imagine the two metres apart turnstiles actually a good thing because the number of times I've got caught up in someone else going through a turnstile, uh, I, I completely applaud social distancing through them. I could never quite get the hang of them. In last week's episode, Carrie, we did an exclusive with Laura Bassett. She admitted to us, actually, she's worried for England at the moment. No fixtures, no certainty about what's going on with the manager. We've had all of these friendlies cancelled as well. What are your thoughts as the author of The Pride of the Lionesses? It's a really odd time, isn't it? I mean, yeah, I mean, with the friendlies being cancelled, which I think was the right decision. I mean, we've seen all the way across football, international friendlies, don't really mean very much. People are coming back, having done international travel, and they're reporting positive corona tests. So I think absolutely that uh, cancelling the international friendlies was the right thing to do. But yeah, in terms of kind of preparing for a major tournament and a new coach coming in and not knowing when the old coach exactly is going and what's happening for the Olympics, it is odd, isn't it? Um, Some clarity would be nice, but I guess that these decisions haven't quite been made yet. It feels like we should know who's taking the side to the Olympics, though, shouldn't it? It feels like it's about the right time for that. And there's only so much England versus England that I can cope with watching. <laughs> because it's, just, <laughs> it's just, it's just, you know, especially when when Beth England plays as well. I just, it just, it just sends the absolute um, anally retentive <laughs> side of me just into complete and utter meltdown. <laughs> 
Yeah, I imagine the England players are probably quite bored of playing each other as well. It's every week, yeah. isn't it? Um, yeah, I think that um, there should have been some clarity on the Olympics stuff, certainly by now. Well, hopefully an announcement will come sooner rather than later um, for everyone involved. Plenty to get through today, though, Carrie. We're going to start in North London. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. You're listening to the Offside Rule WSL edition from Muddy Dean's Media and The Athletic. Can she score her first goal for Tottenham? Alex Morgan against Megan Walsh. Yes, she can. That's her first goal in the white shirt of Tottenham Hotspur. And the first win for Tottenham in the WSL this season. Well, it was the first match in charge for new Spurs boss Rahan Skinner and a first league win of the season for Tottenham as they beat Brighton 3-1. Karis Harrop with the opener for the home side on 11 minutes before Inessa Kugman levelled things up. But midway through the second half, Tottenham struck again through Angela Addison and then, woohoo, a first goal in the WSL for Alex Morgan. From the spot, six minutes from time, wrapped up the three points for her new manager. A nice early Christmas present for Rahan Skinner then. Let's talk about the new manager first then, Carrie. You spoke to her on Friday. Yeah, I spoke to her just before the uh, the weekend fixtures. She's very, very articulate, very, very interesting. And I've never really had the chance to talk to her before because when she's been with England, she's been there as an assistant and she's not been kind of put up for too much media stuff. But she's got so much elite coaching experience. I mean, she's set up, I think, basically Leicester. Um, she was at Arsenal during their massive time of success around 2007-ish. She's worked uh, in the USA and obviously came into work at the England Age Groups as well. So I think it's great that she's had this chance to take on a WSL club. And I think it's actually a really great appointment for Spurs. I think it was time for them perhaps to get some new blood for the, to go through to the next level, which yeah. is obviously what they're looking for. How's she going to stamp her identity on the team? Yeah, I think, again, she takes takes on a bit of a poison chalice, I think. When you take on a team halfway through a season, you haven't got as much space for recruitment. You're kind of stuck with the squad that you've got for the time being. But, I mean, she she worked with what she's got pretty well uh, on the weekend, just gone. And yeah, a first goal for Alex Morgan. Having a star like Alex Morgan to build your team around is never going to be bad. No, I mean, on, on this showing, I think, against Brighton, what you could see was that there was a lot more link at place, especially, I thought, in attack for Spurs. Not many games prior to this, if we watched them and thought they maybe will score three goals. Um, so to get three in this one was really testament to the way that she got them more on the front foot, I thought, for this game. But it's difficult, isn't it, with a limited amount of time to know exactly what you can influence in that time. So obviously, we'll, we'll continue to watch over the forthcoming weeks. I think Keris Harrop, in terms of a signing, was one of the key ones because you need those leaders and she's got so much experience that she brings from being a captain at Birmingham. And I thought this was one of the, the games for her to really shine. Um, she did get the first goal and it was from a free kick. There was an element of fortune to that goal. I think the goalkeeper should have really saved it. 
but I thought the way that she was stewarding the team, making sure that that the high line to try and, and, and make sure that they got more offsides, I was noticing things like that with, with her. I did want to mention, I don't know whether anybody else took this away, but the, the high kick from Kennedy to give Brighton the penalty, it was really dangerous. I did wonder what was she thinking? Um, she's, for me, one of their standout players, but I thought that that was a heads gone moment. What did you think? Yeah, I think whether it was rash or not, there needs to be um, a little bit more thought um, before doing something like that. And I think an instant reaction is an instant reaction, but there's just certain things that you need to programme yourself not to do in the game of football, especially when it's going to give away a penalty as well. So a little bit silly, that one. Good news for Spurs as a whole, though, both of you, with the news that they're going to be training full-time at Hotspur Way. And that's that's really encouraging, isn't it? And absolutely how it should be, Carrie. Yeah, that's really good news. Um we're seeing quite a lot of the clubs now getting the chance to actually train at these top class facilities full time rather than just kind of as a one off. So let's hope that uh, Tottenham are leading the way for some other big clubs in the Premier League towards the top that I that I could mention, but won't. Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> One point of note with Alex Morgan, who got her first goal in this first win for Spurs. She was getting other chances. Now, clearly she's still adjusting after having a baby and it was great to see her get on the score sheet because I think that will do confidence the world of good. But remember, her contract does run out in December. There's not much time left for her to get more goals. And there was one golden opportunity, a dreadful back pass by Whelan. The defender backed off. The goalkeeper, I have to say, did very, very well. But I think Morgan of old would have buried that shot. So there's perhaps just a few more months to her getting back to where she as was. As soon as she leaves the WSL, you mean? Because <laughs> she's yes, got probably. a matter of weeks left. Okay, from one club who've perhaps found what they're looking for to another who are still looking. Picked up by Harder. Kirby with the chance to cross. It's a low, dangerous one, and Curry sliding in. And Chelsea have taken the lead. Kirby keeps it in. Here's Harder. Harder gets the cross in, Arnold's equal to it, but it's going to be a tap-in for Kerr. Sam Kerr on the right spot at the right time to restore Chelsea's advantage. And here is uh, Kirby, and Kerr completes the hat-trick. She's injured herself in the process. Yes, Sam Kerr's hat-trick helped Chelsea set a record of 12 successive WSL home wins with a 3-2 victory over managerless West Ham. The Aussie opened her account on 15 minutes, but the Hammers struck back through Rachel Daly just after the break. However, two second-half goals from Kerr did put the game beyond West Ham's reach and earned Kerr the match ball. An own goal from Chelsea's Magdalena Eriksson towards the end of the game didn't prevent the Blues maintaining their unblemished home record. And this was a game that saw 700 support at King's Meadow. It was the first WSL game to welcome fans back since the easing of the COVID-19 restrictions. It was so great to see them there, wasn't it? And they come back, they're in the stands straight away, they see Kerr on fire. Yeah, Carrie, I think it made all the difference maybe, didn't it? But it's good to see Sam Kerr do what she does best. And it it wasn't like they were amazing, amazing goals. They all came um, within the six-yard box. But what what we saw here is what we were expecting to see from Sam Kerr when she signed for Chelsea all those months ago. Yeah, absolutely. I was about to say, all, all three of them were tap-ins. And then uh, the third one, I think she picked up a bit of a knock in her celebration because she charged into a, a West Ham defender she on the turn. did. A clash of hips. But um, mm. yeah, uh, obviously Sam Kerr 
in goal poacher form it is wonderful for Chelsea fans to see. I wasn't that impressed with Chelsea's display um, altogether, all to be honest. I thought West Ham gave them a really tough game, but three goals for Sam Kerr is very promising. Yeah, and that link-up play as well, Carrie, between um, Kirby and Kerr, um, we saw Harder get in on the action as well. In fact, um, the way that Emma Hayes lined up for this one perhaps left her back line a little bit exposed. You had Beth England, Kerr and Kirby up front together and then Harder, Lou Poltz and G behind them. So it was it was a very attack-minded setup, wasn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. Just, just when you say it like that, I mean, that's an incredible <laughs> amount of attacking talent. Yeah. And Emma Hayes must both be kind of having a bit of a headache every weekend, but also kind of being gleeful that she's got that amount of options. But yeah, I think they they deliberately went with that that attacking that attacking attitude, thinking they could take the game to West Ham, and they found themselves actually put under quite a lot of pressure on that back line in the end. They did. I think that maybe was from them pushing forward more. I mean, this link-up play that we talk about, yes, you know, Sam Kerr got tap-ins, but actually there was some beautiful lead-up play, wasn't there? And I don't think those are easy goals to pull off. It does mean that you need this sort of telepathy that we were seeing between Kirby and Kerr. But on the West Ham note, um, I, I did think there was a lot of positives for them to take away from this performance. Their under-caretaker manager, Billy Stewart, who Matt Beard told us on this podcast he would like to see get the job full-time. Was that a first display that thinks that that could actually happen yeah I mean I don't really know what West Ham are thinking at the moment behind the scenes I mean at the start of the season uh, the West Ham players and Matt Beard were all very positive about finishing towards the top you know putting pressure on at the top of the table even and none of their displays so far have indicated anything like that so there's clearly something not quite right there but that display against Chelsea should certainly give uh, the powers that be some food for thought if uh, if he can get them playing like that with such a short amount of notice and in those circumstances. Yeah, I thought Rachel Daly was really good. It was her birthday, actually, yeah. um, and it was a performance performance worthy of a birthday celebration. She obviously scored West Ham's goal just after the break. Um, the own goal was unfortunate for Merrickson, of course, that um, meant that West Ham were able to pull one back in the dying minutes of the game. But I always think you never concede an own goal unless you're under pressure. And there was a sort of a bit of a defensive mess up between Eriksson and Berger at the back for Chelsea, which resulted in that own goal. I thought interesting as well, they made some good subs West Ham. Um, Alicia Lehman um, changed the pace for them when she came on. And on the 88th minute, sent a cross into the Chelsea box for that own goal, well, which contributed towards the own goal mess up. So I think some good decisions there from West Ham. I'll be interested. I think the main point is when Chelsea scored the first goal uh, via Sam Kerr, it would have been sort of classic for West Ham, wouldn't it? And I don't want to do them down by saying this, but I think that they have had an issue this season where they've gone one down, particularly against the bigger sides, and their heads have dropped and they've not really been able to find a way back into it. And what we can convincingly say from this performance from West Ham is that they fought all the way through to the end and we haven't seen that too much this season from West Ham. They really did want it. They didn't feel uh, threatened by Chelsea. They absolutely picked themselves up and carried on pushing. And uh, Mackenzie Arnold in goal for them I thought was really really good you know all the all the talk's been about Sam Kerr and the Aussie link but uh, uh, Mackenzie Arnold's uh, a keeper for the Matildas and 
you know, I think, you know, certainly certainly worth a mention as well. So I really liked West Ham's attitude mm. in this game. And too. in that respect, I think it might have been quite a good fixture for them. They weren't expected to beat Chelsea. You've got this incredible home record. But what they could do is try and iron out a few of the problems. And like you say, a lot of that coming down to mentality. Staying in London for our next match, we're going to head back north. This Christmas slash Hanukkah slash Winterval slash holiday season, the Athletic wants you to bog off. Because when you buy one annual subscription, you'll get another one for free. And similarly, when you gift a year's subscription, you can get one for yourself at no extra cost. So wave goodbye to 2020 and say hello to 2021 by sharing the gift of The Athletic's unrivaled football coverage with analysis and in-depth features from the very best writers around, exclusive Q&As with Athletic staff and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts, including this one. Find out more and sign up today at theathletic.com slash offside. Well, Arsenal moved to within a point of league leaders Manchester United with a 3-0 win over Birmingham. All the goals coming in the second half through Caitlin Ford, Jill Rod, and Kim Little, who scored from the spot. Little, who'd earlier seen her first half penalty saved by City keeper Hannah Hampton. Um, it was a good performance from Hannah Hampton, but perhaps we'll move on to that in just a moment. Um, I think Arsenal found Birmingham quite hard to break down, though, Carrie. They did, and um, Birmingham obviously came set up to defend very deep, very, very compact. And they did their job really well. I mean, getting to half time without conceding against Arsenal away, I thought that was really, really impressive. And as you, as you mentioned, Hannah Hampton had a fantastic game. Yeah, 11 saves, I think she had. And I think this was the game plan, you know, from Carla Ward coming into this. It was clearly to try and get that fourth successive clean sheet on the road. Birmingham very rarely went into Arsenal's half. So I think you could see what they were trying to achieve. And ultimately, I don't think Carla Ward has got the personnel to adapt her game plan. So when they when they went into this wanting to do that and they got to half time, they must have been feeling really pleased with themselves. But as soon as that first goal went in from Arsenal, they hadn't really got the ability to then adapt to that because of depth in squad. And I think that's something that will come up for Carla. But she's doing fantastic stuff. And I think they are going to be a very difficult team to break down this season. Yeah, I spoke to her just after the end of the game and she was saying that when they got to half time, she was kind of really, really pleased with it. But she knew that it'd be a much tougher ask in the second half because, as you say, she doesn't have the personnel to make any changes. And also she's short of subs. She didn't have the people or the bodies on the bench to be able to switch in, whereas obviously Arsenal are recovering from that injury crisis and have more players that they can bring off the bench. So, yeah, it was a difficult thing to try and do and uh, credit that it worked for half the match, I guess. Yeah, and there are some things that you just can't prevent and Rod's goal best of the lot I thought for Arsenal she picked her spot didn't she like a postage stamp to go into that top left hand corner and it was a really really good finish from her there are certain goals like that that it doesn't matter how good Hannah Hampton is on the day she's not going to stop those well Carla Ward did pay credit to Joe Montemuro and the way that he set his side up for the game but I think the most controversial thing about this was her outburst really towards the referee she said that her side had played against 12 players they probably didn't need her help she said but they got it and earlier the ball had hit the arm of Rachel Corsi um, and that's when the second pen was awarded very outspoken from Carla Ward she's not kind of apologised since I've not heard about any action directed towards her but you've really got to be careful haven't you because you're upset and you're hurting Carrie but those were strong comments they were strong comments um 
and again, she was talking about this immediately after the match. She said she'd been in the referee's room for all of half time, so she hadn't really given her team much of a team talk at half time because she was in the referee's room complaining about her her performance in the first half. So it wasn't just that second penalty decision uh, that angered her. It was plenty of decisions throughout the match. Yes, I was quite surprised that she was quite so outspoken about it. But then knowing Carla of old, she's actually featured in a, in my first Lionesses book, Roar of the Lionesses, because she was playing for Sheffield then before she went on to Sheffield United. So I've known her for a little while. And Carla is just incredibly honest and doesn't really hold back on things. Yes, haven't heard of any action being taken yet. So um, we'll see what happens. <laughs> she may have got away with it. I'm I'm a big fan, as you know, both of you, of, of Kim Little, probably being one of my favourite players since watching WSL, to be honest. I, I was a little disappointed when she had her first penalty saved that she sort of stood still afterwards. She did this thing that that you can be tempted to do, which is just sort of <laughs> wallow for a, a moment and not go for the rebound. And she did do that on that occasion. And I was really, really surprised. Obviously, she got to have another go and she she buried her second penalty. But I wondered if either of you had noticed that too. I didn't notice that, actually, Linz. It's hard to say, isn't it, how players react. Maybe she was a bit mystified as to how she'd missed it. Maybe she was surprised. Maybe she just needed to take stock. I don't think I'm, you know, I'd, I'd necessarily criticise it for her. But I but I definitely wouldn't associate Kim with that sort of behaviour. I would more associate Kim with the natural workmanship that she shows during games. She's always, always fighting for the ball. I think it's because I hold her, Carrie, to the highest standards. <laughs> You expect perfection from poor Kim Little all the time. (laughs) (laughs) She can do no wrong, or can she? Well, let's turn our attention to the team who are still top of the league. Yeah, this is quite something, isn't it? Manchester United maintained their unbeaten start in the league with a goal in each half to earn a comfortable 2-0 win over Aston Villa. That's now six wins in eight games for the leaders. Villa dropped to 11th, just one point above bottom club Bristol City. Well, victory came at a cost and this was a big talking point in the game. United's Dutch international Jackie Gronen had to go off in the 11th minute with a head injury. United's medical team deciding that she couldn't continue despite Gronen apparently arguing with them. And I know Casey Stoney said after the game that it was, you know, a strictly medical decision that that had happened. What was your take on it, Linz? I mean, I think it just, it needs to be very black and white, doesn't it? If the medical team say that you've had a sufficient bang to the head, you just need to go off without arguing. Uh, Yeah, I think across the board, I think it was Jermaine Genus who I was listening to over the weekend that said really that the protocol should just be one protocol for all sports. We see how it works in cricket and rugby. Why is football any different, whether that be women's or men's? I, I feel like there should be an impartial doctor at games because... I also think that the medics and things that we've witnessed in the past, I'm going to bring up Jose Mourinho and and the club doctor for an example, that the medical staff that are attached to clubs are under a lot of pressure to get those players on the field. And even when they do try and say, you know, actually, I think we've seen in these documentaries behind the scenes as well that a player's not ready. It's like, well, how much quicker can you get them back? And I think they're under a different stress to what an impartial doctor on site would be. And I think that could be key. Get someone there who's impartially makes a decision that there's a set protocol. I mean, personally, I think that if there's any clash of heads or any sign of concussion, because let's face it, you know, you can definitely head a ball again within a match or have another bang of heads. And that would be just awful. 
awful if something was to happen just because we haven't given a player a, a bit of respite for for what 45 minutes or, or or whatever you know whenever the the incident comes in the game if they're rested from that point on and just come back from the the game later I, I mean I just think that's a safer policy but I can understand that that teams are under a lot of pressure to get wins yeah We've had some high-profile cases in Real Jimenez, David Luiz in the in the Premier League, and and you can bet your bottom dollar that Carrie Dunn has got something to say about this. Carrie, well, yeah, I mean those examples you mentioned—they're just this season. I mean, if you look back further, there are so many others. You've got Ryan Mason, for example, just a few yes. years ago. Um, I think Lindsay's is completely right. Um, you need an independent doctor because club medical staff can't obsess necessarily as objectively as they might do if they didn't have the pressure. Is that achievable, though, in the women's game? I'm just thinking about resource here. Is there enough resource to support an independent doctor or should it just be incredibly black and white? And, you know, just like Alex Scott told the BBC, out of the player's hands, it just shouldn't be a decision that ever involves a player because a player high on adrenaline is always going to, um, unless they're knocked out, always, you know, going to try and push to stay on the pitch. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple of issues there, though. I think, yes... Players should not have any input into this. It shouldn't be their decision to play on. It should be up to the medical staff. And yes, of course, resourcing is an issue, but resourcing is an issue for a lot of things across the women's game. And health and safety has to be paramount. I don't think it's that much of an issue. I mean, you you have St John's Ambulance at most matches anyway. You have to have medical standby Mm. in case anything happens during a game. So there is usually some resource. Of course, if you go to the dizzying heights of the Premier League in the men's game then you've got ambulance crews on site you know Raul Jimenez was in an ambulance in a, in a hospital within minutes and the lower down the pyramid you go it is more reliant on things like St John's Ambulance but there are those people there. Absolutely I think the other thing is that obviously concussion you can't really diagnose that until you know kind of 10-15 minutes to pass that's when it could set in I've not immediately when the initial impact has happened so you need to have some kind of breathing space which is why I think concussion subs might be a good idea yeah well it can be up to 48 hours actually Carrie listening to some experts this week it can it can actually show signs 48 hours on and and that's why I wonder whether just carte blanche it's just you go off if you have a a really bad clash of heads all right well we'll move on from that just a second to talk about the game. Leah Galton and Ella Toon with the goals, but um, Jesse Parker Humphreys uh, on uh, OffsideRulePodcast.com has written an ode to Tobin Heath in her Five Things We Learned WSL piece. It's up online now. And she says, making eight key passes, four more than anyone else in the team. Uh, she credits Heath for picking out attacking options and creating space where it seemed like there was none. And that is textbook Tobin Heath, that creating space, picking out attacking options. And I think, you know, following Sam Mewis, easily the best of the USA imports, Carrie. Yeah, she's a fantastic player. Um, Ella Toon was saying last week that she's just learned so much from Tobin Heath and from Jackie Gronin as well, obviously, these top internationals coming into Manchester United in kind of the, the second season right at the top. And she's really making all the difference. She is responsible for how many chances they create. And this game is is a brilliant example of that. United had 30 shots compared to Villa's seven. Mm. Um, I also think that gives a bit of credit to to Villa here for the way that they defended. Um, I think that they have gained some confidence from that recent result and came into this game. I felt like their their heads were higher. They, They had a bit more belief. And 
on another day, Manchester United might might have actually won this by a much larger margin. But I think Tobin Heath is key to those chances being created. It's those little balls. It's just that bit bit of sight that she has in her periphery that I just think some players don't get sometimes. And she's just fantastic at it. OK, well, let's move on to the other team in Manchester. This is the Offside Rule WSL edition, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Weir. Surely this will be the last attack of the first half. It's Caroline Weir for Manchester City. And the cross towards the back post was fantastic again from Weir. He's got herself three assists now. And Becky gets on the score sheet. Manchester City leapfrogged Everton into fourth spot with a comfortable 3-0 win at Walton Hall Park. All three goals came in the first half and all three were set up by Caroline Weir. She was the assist specialist for this match. Um, Ellen White opened the scoring when she headed home Weir's cross. Gemma Bonner then doubled the lead a minute later from another Weir cross. That was another header. And Janine Becky headed home City's third just before the break. Do we start with Caroline Weir and just how fantastic her crossing is? But this isn't a new thing, is it? She is known for her pinpoint precision and she's been at the top of her game for quite a while. You could argue, I suppose, being in a team full of megastars like City, perhaps she doesn't get the recognition she deserves, but she's always a regular in that side because of the work she does, because of her pinpoint crossing. And I think, you know, credit to her as well. As part of the Scotland team, they suffered a big disappointment missing out for the uh, for the Euros in 2022 midweek. And to come back from that and back into her club side I'm sure she was very very kind of pleased to be back and distracted by the football but to put in a performance like that from her just absolutely excellent yeah I think it might have been a bit of motivation for her actually yeah uh, that disappointment coming back and then going back out onto onto the pitch and showing exactly what what she can do but yeah an, an incredible individual performance from her but also Everton gave her too much space you know Caroline Weir's not a new thing is she and I thought Everton well they really struggled to get beyond City's back line didn't they City were were great across the back Everton weren't pressing enough and this is of course a repeat of last month's FA Cup final after which Everton have struggled it has to be said yeah, um, Everton obviously missing missing key players. The FA Cup final, obviously, I think that might have been kind of a, a bit of a bit of a turning point for Everton as well. It must be a very very odd feeling to come back after that and need to get back down to the slog of WSL uh, domestic week in week out competition without three of your of your major attacking threats. Yeah, I, I agree that I think that heads have maybe dropped since that final. I think they put so much into that, but they really can't let their league form suffer. This is a team that at one point were top of the table. They were pushing to try and get into the the supposed top four that we've been used to seeing and, and Manchester United, you know, putting their stamp. I, I just wonder, Carrie and Kate as well, you know, is this something that Willie Kirk can turn around? They haven't been in this position before where they started so strongly and have dropped off now. Yeah, I'm sure he can turn it around. To be honest, um, again, there 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 are the players there. Even without those 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 three big cogs in the in the machine, they've still got plenty of players who should be playing much better than they are at this level. But yes, they'll have to sort it out quite quickly. I think. 
Yeah, they're down to fifth in the league at the moment. They uh, play away to Birmingham um, this weekend. They've then got um, a League Cup game and then and then it's Arsenal and then it's Manchester United. So, look, they need to get something against Birmingham, really, because it's going to be tough. It's going to be really tough for them against Arsenal and against Manchester United as well. And that sort of takes them up to mid-January. So I think Willie Kurt needs to find a way to almost see that team through until mid-Jan. They need to work hard on set pieces on trying to gain anything they can against those teams and then almost look to reset or almost look to that mid-January point to start making gains again. But it, it, it is a really tough run in for them. All right, let's move on to the last game now. Yeah, just one more to bring you. Bottom side, Bristol City picked up only their second point of the season with a one-all draw at Reading. Emma Bissell scored her first WSL goal to give City the lead just before half-time. Farrah Williams equalised early in the second half, but Reading found visiting keeper Sophie Bagley in inspired form. You have to watch some of this footage back. Some saves that she made were absolutely sublime. They had to settle for a point despite having 33 shots in this match. It took place as well at the Medeski Stadium. Five games without a win now for Reading, who stay in sixth place. But you've got a feel for them in this match, don't you? Yeah, I mean, obviously Reading were dominant. I was actually really kind of sneakily pleased with Bristol City. I think they've worked really hard this season. They've turned in some decent performances, particularly lately. Again, they're another team that have been suffering with injuries. I mean, Tanya Oxtoby tried to revamp the squad over the summer by bringing in some experienced players to work with the younger ones. And there's been a lot of them out injured in the past couple of weeks. So I was actually sneakily quite pleased that Bristol City got a point there. Yeah, Bristol City have also had to deal with um, COVID issues as well, haven't they, at the club? And it has has been a difficult season for them. Like you say, Lynn, their goalkeeper, Sophie Bagley, absolutely brilliant for this game. And, and you have to credit her for that. But also nice to see... Ebony Salmon still, you know, very much growing into her role with the club, very much a standout player for them as she's become. It was her to uh, Bristol's Charlie Wellings, who made that breakaway run, thought she might take the goal for herself, but she crossed to Emma Bizzle, uh, who did the honours. So really nice work there for Bristol's goal. And I think what you're seeing from them is a growing confidence. They've had two draws now back to back. That last draw was against Spurs, wasn't it, in their last league game. They've played all the top teams now as well, Bristol, bar Manchester United, and they've suffered some heavy defeats, 9-0 against Chelsea, 8-1 against City. But it's almost a nice position for Tanya Oxtoby to be in because she can sort of sweep that to one side. They've got Villa and West Ham next and there's an opportunity there, isn't there, to get some points on the board. So I think going into Christmas for Bristol, it looks encouraging. They've been due a lucky break. You know, they've had a lot of things, as you've pointed out, to contend with. And their lucky break came here because Reading were the dominant side. I actually thought Reading played at times like a top four side. They had brilliant attacks. I I honestly think Jess Fishlock must be having nightmares about Sophie Bagley over this weekend. Any other appearance, she'd have scored a hat-trick, I think. You know, she was not at fault with her shots either. It was just that Bagley was that good, that there weren't tame efforts by any stretch. So... I think they've got a lot to thank Sophie Bagley for for this point and they probably were, like I say, due a little bit of good fortune. All right, well, there's some Champions League action this week. All very exciting. On Wednesday, Chelsea face Benfica away. City travel to Gothenburg, and uh, Glasgow City are at Sparta Prague. Good to see this up and running, Carrie. So let's look at Chelsea facing Benfica. Linz, what do we expect from this one? I think... 
we expect Chelsea to win this one, actually. I think Chelsea should be the form team going into it. Um, they've obviously come off the back of a good WSL result this week. And this is what it's all about for Emma Hayes. She wants to win the Champions League. Benfica didn't play this weekend. In fact, they've not played since the 18th of November. So whether that means that they're more well-rested and come into this better than they would have done... I would like to think it's the other way around that Chelsea probably have found more of a rhythm and and that they'll go in in better form. That last game that they had was actually in the Champions League qualifying round when they beat Anderlecht. So Benfica haven't had any league action in between. I I think all of that could be key. Yeah, same goes for uh, the Swedish side, Gothenburg as well. Top team in Sweden. How will Man City line up against them, do you think, Carrie? They've obviously got depth and squad, which is good. But, you know, the Swedish league certainly shouldn't be dismissed. Yeah, um, Gareth Taylor said in his press conference on Monday that he is planning a little bit of squad rotation. Obviously, the fixtures are coming thick and fast for Manchester City. But he says that he and the squad quite quite enjoy that. They'd rather be playing than not playing and having massive gaps between matches. So I think they'll be up for this one, whoever's starting. And I also think this this match for Glasgow City at Sparta Prague could be quite tight as well. Sparta won their last league match 10-0 in their league. Now, of course, their league doesn't doesn't really represent what we have here in WSL. But up in Scotland, I suppose you can make the comparisons that Glasgow City romp away a little bit in the same way that Sparta Prague do. However, they haven't played for even longer. Their last game for Sparta Prague was the 11th of October and that has to be an advantage, I would have thought, to, to Glasgow City that they've played more games than they have. OK, let's move on to the WSL fixtures next weekend. We know that, of course, Bristol play Villa on Wednesday, um, but otherwise all these fixtures are on Sunday 13th of December. City play Arsenal, Reading against Manchester United, Brighton, Chelsea, Birmingham, Everton, Tottenham play Villa and Bristol City match up against West Ham. Carrie, which one are you looking to for all the drama? Well, obviously City Arsenal's the one that, yeah. that draws the eye. I'm quite hyped for Bristol City West Ham after their weekend performances, actually. That one's going to mm. be a proper battle. I'm looking forward to it. Birmingham Everton as well, a real chance for Everton to turn things around and start to uh, get some more positive results. A Reading versus Manchester United will be an interesting fixture as well, Linz. So Reading for this one, I think, could ask quite a few questions of Manchester United, especially given their last performance. We've already talked about the amount of chances they created. And on another day, they will actually convert some of those. So I think it could be a bit of a test. Although you look at Manchester United and Leah Galton, Lauren James, Ella Toon, the quality they've got, who are confident at the moment as well. I, I see them slightly edging this one, but Reading could ask some serious questions. Yeah, it could be a good game for the neutral as well, couldn't it? Uh, also, there's a first round of the Women's FA Cup on Sunday. Good luck to all those teams taking part. On to Euro 2022 qualifiers, um, unless we're still calling it 2021. Who knows these days? <laughs> it's hard, isn't it? Uh, I know. Northern Ireland beat the Faroe Islands to reach a first ever playoff for the European Championships. Scotland failed to progress after their 1-0 defeat to Finland. Northern Ireland's win removed any chances of Wales making a playoff spot. Those are your takeaways. Yeah, absolute delight for Northern Ireland. They're still in with a chance of reaching Euro 2022. Such a shame for Scotland and Wales, but uh, Northern Ireland have definitely stolen the headlines. Well done to them. All right. Well, uh, FIFA maternity rules came in on Friday. This is important to mention, actually. This means that maternity leave is guaranteed, uh, as is working rights for players in the women's game. So pregnant players will now be given mat leave lasting 14 weeks and they must be paid at least two thirds of their salary by their clubs. A really important progression and 
you know, about time too, Carrie. We should say, but this is a this this is a really important move for the for the women's game. It's um, been been ignored for too long, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was just thinking, actually, I was speaking at a conference about this time last year with some sports lawyers, and they were doing lots of contracts for lots of clubs over the previous couple of years, and they were saying that clubs had just been setting up their female players with the same contracts as their male players, so they didn't have any mention of anything like maternity leave previously. So it is stunning that it's taken kind of this long to realise it and rectify it. But yeah, fantastic news. Yeah. And Linz, it's not just about the player being off on maternity leave, is it? There's also support when they come back. That's right. I mean, the clubs now are obliged to reintegrate the players uh, when they return and provide adequate medical support. Uh, They can register a new player to cover the 14 week period that the player takes. Mm, Good news. Uh, FIFA president Gianni Infantino says, quite rightly, if we're serious about boosting the women's game, we have to look at all these aspects. Well, I think that's all we've got time for this week, ladies. Carrie, a big thank you to you for joining us for this one. Uh, What have you got planned for the rest of the week? I am mostly starting work on my new book. (gasps) I know. What's it called? Uh, I can't tell you what it's called yet. None of it's been officially announced yet, but it is women's football related and it should be out towards the end of next year. Fantastic. Oh, we should encourage some of our new writers on our website to try and follow in your footsteps, Carrie. Um, we have got a few articles on that website, though, haven't we, Kate? Yeah, and, and um, big news today. We launch uh, the Women's Top 100 Players. This is done in association with The Guardian. Uh, number 100 to 71 has been released today, Tuesday, as we record this. But we are going to be spending the next four days, basically, releasing the uh, tranche of players uh, through to number one. 14 debutants, by the way, in this first 29 players. Uh, and the name here feature well old timers and I hope she doesn't get offended by that for Myga uh, but Caroline Weir we mentioned her earlier in the podcast she's in at number 77 Chloe Kelly's there at 82 Jordan Nobbs at 86 so you'll see some familiar names there and I think it's easy isn't it to think well Jordan Nobbs is such a brilliant player why why is she only at, at number 86 why is Beth Mead only at 91 but remember this is the top 100 female players in the world and they're voted for by a very esteemed list of judges well over 80 of them this year so pop onto the website offsiderulepodcast.com we'll keep across the twitter feed it's also up on the guardian as well rich laverty running the ship here uh, counting down to the best player in the world it's always an exciting time of year (laughs) we always love that Uh, you can rate review and subscribe to us of course we had the laura bassett exclusive last week please make sure you check that out it followed on from a natasha dowie exclusive that we had a few weeks back as well well worth listening to that one too if you haven't yet yeah across the socials at offside rule pod on twitter and on instagram to keep across us and uh, you guys will be back with more next week i'm sort of taking a bit of a hiatus now just a mixture of holiday and other work commitments means that um i'll be next uh, in your ears after the new year but you'll be holding the fort until then Linz. yes i will i'll be here <laughs> catch you soon i'll be listening by the way uh catch you soon everyone bye, bye. You've been listening to the Offside Rule WSL edition, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Offside Rule at offsiderulepodcast.com and by following at Offside Rule Pod on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Offside Rule WSL edition is a Money Knees Media production. Money Knees Media.